0: Hello there, and welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Rob Warner, joined by staff reporters Bobby Nardaya, Max Madden, Kalen Jones, and as always, site publisher Chris Cartman. How's everybody doing today?
1: Chris had some Wabba Grill, so I think he's probably doing the best of all of us. I've actually, I've never had Waba Grill. Me neither. Me neither.
2: Wow, you mm. guys are missing out, especially as much as you talk about food on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I would say you need to get to, to a Waba Grill. There's one about uh, one mile away from here.
0: Well, uh, I just want to tell all of our listeners right off the bat that this podcast is primarily going to be um, an ASU men's basketball podcast. We're going to gloss over um, some football news at the end of this episode, but for more in-depth football reporting and all of Chris's takes on what's going on with recruiting in the state of ASU football right now, um, look out for the premium podcast that will be airing today as well. Um, guys, let's get right into it though, with uh, the men's basketball. They just got back from their trip to the Bay Area. Um, let's first talk about their loss to Stanford. They lost eighty six to seventy seven um, to a Stanford team that's getting healthy. And as Chris has told me, told me on the plane we were actually uh, flying to Stanford that this is a team that actually has a lot more talent than people really think.
1: Yeah, I think they sort of showed that not just on Wednesday being Arizona, Arizona State, but also pretty much taking Arizona down to the wire as well. This is a Stanford team that should contend contend to the top of the Pac twelve. I think they've sort of proven that during this home weekend stretch because I think every way, every team the impact all well, their barometer, I think at this point is going to be how they compete against both Arizona schools. I think Stanford really does, stood up well to the test. Talk about how effective Reed Travis was in that
3: game, just how much he was able to swing rebounding numbers and sort of second chance points. It was they out-rebounded re- out ASU defensively, offensively. They outscored them. Uh, with second-chance points. They had uh, 16 more points than the Sun Devils uh, in the paint. Uh, you know, I think the retraps has already impressed a lot of people, just but to actually sort of see it and watch him play so dominant, ASU has uh, not really had an answer for guys like him or Ristich or, uh, or in this season.
4: Yeah, bouncing or, you know, following up on what you guys were saying, yeah, ASU didn't really have an answer for what uh, Stanford posed, especially in their big men down low. Um, again, you saw what happens when the guard play isn't efficient. Shannon Evans went 5-12, Trey Holder went 3-14. Uh, Cody Justice had a good day. He went 6-9 from the field. But again, like until they get contributions from their guard play at a more consistent rate, uh, you're going to see ASU struggle.
2: A few things stood out to me in this game. Uh, number one is just the, the, the building of Stanford with getting Dorian Pickens back from the foot injury that cost him a lot of the season to this point. He's played only eight, nine games. Uh, And then KZ Akpala, who's a true freshman, um, he did a really great job actually guarding Trey Holder on the perimeter. Uh, Trey Holder's seen a lot of different types of looks to try to limit what he and Shannon Evans and Cody Justice have been earlier in the season. And that length of Akpala, who probably has a seven-foot wingspan, was pretty disruptive in that game. And then the bench, right? Um, Max, you touched on it, but Josh Sharma and Oscar De Silva... Those guys were 11 of 11 from the field. Yeah, they killed us on those. 28 points. And a lot of that was uh, ASU being overzealous with its press, not executing that effectively. Uh, they are trying to close the margin when they were trailing and with this full-court pressure, but they weren't protecting the basket. Stanford was just advancing it pretty consistently and getting baskets at the rim. There were a few ASU players that got put on a poster in that game, uh, which is very atypical for Stanford, right? They've tended to be more of a skill, finesse type of a team. And to me, they showed not just that they have more length, but also more physicality and toughness. Um, So they're probably the biggest surprise in the Pac-12 to this point in the season. And even though that's not the most difficult place to play because fans are, are pretty lackluster there, uh, Stanford made that a really difficult matchup for ASU.
0: And Chris, to your point a little bit about um, uh, the bench, I mean, ASU was outscored 28 13 on the bench, primarily, as you said, by Sharma and uh, De Silva, um, but also your other point about the full-court press that wasn't working for ASU. And I remember I asked you after the game about it, and when, when ASU climbed all the way back to down two with over three minutes to go, they stayed with that full-court press, and as soon as it was a two-point game, they gave up a wide-open dunk, And they never got back uh, that close. I was very confused why they didn't change it up after they got back into the game.
2: Yeah, I was as well. That was kind of a surprise because they hadn't had a lot of success to that point uh, with the zone. uh, Occasionally here and there on some possessions. But they'd be giving up a lot of uh, points in the paint, which was an issue throughout the game, really. So um, I think Bobby Hurley, what we've seen from him, something we've talked about on our podcasts in the past, he has this hard-charging thing that he has a hard time of pulling his players back from the reins and trying to be more cerebral and strategic uh, within games. And that showed itself again in this one, uh, and I agree with you. I think they would have been better served at, at, a, at a certain point to kind of peel it back and and just kind of then focus on the things that they had been able to do to that point
0: while in the game and, and, and the, the full court pressure wasn't one of them. And something I'm kind of uh, curious about, Chris, because they were getting, it looked like, killed down low by Sharma and Reed when they were on the court at the same time or or Sharma and Humphrey or, you know, whatever combination Stanford had down low. Um, we haven't seen Romello White and Daquan Lake at the same time very much. We saw it a little bit at Cal um, and I, I was curious what you think as in terms of can that be a lineup going forward that if they're going up against two big men they, you see more of that?
2: Well, Hurley still seemingly trying to figure out what his rotation is going to be on any given night, and it changes all the time. He totally changed things up against Cal when he put Schiebel back into the starting lineup, which actually worked. And then later on in the second half, he went with lineups that were totally different than what he had in the first half, including, as you said there, with Romello White and Daquan Lake. And I think he's still sort of feeling his way into what matchup is going to work best against certain types of opponents and what they they do schematically. But you have to really have a developed understanding of what that's going to be going into a game uh, because it makes it hard on the players and on your ability to get cohesiveness
0: as you're trying to uh, uh, put your best foot forward. And then it was uh, a turnaround, as we saw, uh, going into uh, Berkeley as they they beat Cal, statistically the worst team in the um, Pac-12, 81-73. Yeah. they had 41 bench points on the game. Um, I know Max wrote an article about a week ago about how when the bench steps up, the the results of ASU are, are much, much better, as one would expect. Um, what were some of your guys' biggest takeaways, though, from that game? I
1: think this is, one of the first, I think this is probably the first time all season where mm-hmm. none of the three, between Trey Holder, Shan Evans, or Cody Justice, really had a good shooting night. And ASU survived partially just because it had a lot more talent than Cal does on any given night. But... A lot of good performances. Uh, Ryan Martin has been arguably ASU's most consistent player in Pac-12 play. He's their leader in production and points per 40 minutes uh, during conference play. And he's really been a spark plug off that bench for them. And then Mickey Mitchell, of course, had a great game off the bench for them. After the uh, move, game moved out of the starting lineup, Scheibel had a great game moving into the starting lineup. You just saw a lot of production from a lot of guys that you don't really see typical production from. And you saw steps... Uh, steps forward from guys like Daquan Lake. Kamani Lawrence probably looked as comfortable as he has looked, and he actually had a couple of moments where he really looked not just not tentative, but also just aggressive and trying to force the action. And I think that's something that's going to be really important for Arizona State going forward at the game. Kamani Lawrence going back to where he was in the preseason before he suffered that foot injury. And to your point, Fabian, about ASU getting bailed out despite, you know, with all of their or with their
3: lack of production, you could see Cal had a rough night, both from three. ASU was, you know, kind of on it for, from three, even though none of the players really blew up. They were able to make 10 of 21 attempts. And then Cal went just 31% from three, making five of 16, and then 50% roughly from the free throw line, uh, you know, whereas ASU was a lot more clinical when it came to, to executing from the charity stripe. And so those were a couple of things that Cal really, really struggled with and sort of was able to bail ASU out, you know, ASU put up 81 points, which is, uh, you know, more than they have in, in the past few games recently. But, uh, you know, it could have been a lot worse for the, for the Sun Devils.
4: Yeah, no, I mean, like, just to echo, again, echoing what you guys have been saying, like, Mitchie, Mickey Mitchell, I think he he was a difference maker, especially him coming off the bench. And I, I think I've been saying that for a while now, like, he, his energy is more of a luxury for ASU coming off the bench than it is in the starting lineup, and eventually I think they're going to have to work Kamani Lawrence back into that starting five. Um, obviously Scheibel had a pretty good game, but um, 14 minutes for him, 11 for Kamani Lawrence. Um, you look at what Mickey Mitchell was able to provide, um, 5 for 9 from the from the field, 2-3 or three from 3-point three overall, um, 11 rebounds. I, th- I think he's... The type of energy, in tandem with Remy Martin, Daquan Lake, others that you kind of need, especially when, as Fabian pointed out, the guards aren't performing at the the level that they were early in the season. When you look
2: at Vitaly Shybal, his advanced stats are pretty bad. I think objectively, he's probably their worst scholarship player, and I, I hate to say that, you know, like bluntly like that, but um, but he's also valuable because. People always say, well, why isn't Hurley playing more of the two bigs together? And I think it's because, as we saw against Cal, the floor opens up more when Scheibel is out there. Um, and then it also gives you more pop off the bench, which Hurley wants with Mitchell, uh-huh. who seems to play better off the bench, I would say. Uh, Scheibel hit the two threes in that game and, and within a matter of a few minutes in a critical stretch. Um, and even though he's not a great rebounder or, or post-area defender, there's something about what he does for them offensively that just kind of works. And it, it helps other people get shots. And it creates a good synergy between their starting lineup and their bench. And I think uh, you have to give Hurley some credit for that because almost nobody was probably saying, oh, you should probably start Scheibel. That's, that's like the way to help get you out of this uh, funk that you guys have been in. But actually, that that ended up working. And I thought Scheibel was going to go the other way. I thought that when you get uh, Kamani Lawrence back in there playing a lot, that you have an eight-man rotation or nine guys, that that Scheibel was going to be the guy who would fall off. But it it didn't really materialize that way. And um, so I give Hurley credit. Uh, Trey Holder, who had been just enormously struggling right in, in, in recent weeks, had a pretty good first half. That's true. He had... He had eight points. Remember, the, the Shannon Evans still struggled in the first half against Cal and then came on in the second yeah. half. Uh, he had that big corner three. He had another three. Um, but they needed to get more from Trey Holder at the outset of a game, and I think that happened, which was good. Um, he had been just going through a gauntlet as far as how teams had defending. And then we saw Cal decided somewhat inexplicably, we'd probably all agree to, to not play more zone. Um um, they brought that in their first year there. The coaching staff brought uh, the, the zone from, from Louisville, um, which is a kind of a matchup, sort of similar to what Oregon does, and they grind you out. But they haven't been executing that zone too well under Quanzo Martin. And, and so he decided, and he said after the game, that ASU shooters were the reason. He decided to play more man. I don't know if that was really the best strategy. But you look at what Mitchell gave them off the bench with a double-double, um, he was really good basically throughout. and he, he has a tendency to be a little bit of a ball in a china shop, but I think that was more managed in this game. And then um, Kamani Lawrence had that great layup where he was kind of darting through off of an assist. and He plays really within himself. It almost looks like he's like going too slow at times, but I, I think that that is something that's going to, in the long run, really work out well for him. Uh, because of how composed he is, and then how about DeQuan Lake? Um, and there's, uh, there's a reasonable argument that can be made. I'm going to throw this out there to you: Is DeQuan Lake a better player right
1: now than Romello White? I'm not sure he's a better player, but he's a better fit for this team. I think.
3: I, would I agree just, with
1: that. just a rim runner, rim protector, and just catches lobs off a lot of that dribble penetration. I think. I honestly think that their best lineup come March might be with the three senior guards out there, or maybe Remy Martin in place for one of the senior guards, with Kamani Lawrence at the four and Daquan at the five. I think that might be, come March, come tournament time, that might be their most explosive lineup, and that also might defensively be one of their better lineups because you have rim protection there from both aspects. And that's funny. I mean, I've actually talked to Kaylin about that exact lineup. Uh, I think that
3: Daquan Lake, you mentioned him being a rim runner. I, I, he, I think he understands a little bit more than Romello White at this point in his career, how to move around offensively and create space. He often gets a lot more open dunks. You don't see Ramello White cutting in for a pass and getting a wide open dunk in the same way that Daquan Lake does. I think that sort of comes with a little bit more experience that Daquan has had at the college level. Uh, but to your point, or to your question, Chris, I would say that Lake I think is performing at a higher level more consistently and is a better zone defender, I would say. Although I'd say Ramello White is a pretty good uh, man defender. And then, just
0: quickly, as we're moving on uh, from the big men, Chris, I want to ask you, we've been talking about Kamani Lawrence a lot in this segment, Um, do you foresee him getting a start here or there, trying to put him in the starting lineup? I remember um, when he went off earlier this season against Northern State, you said that you think that he might be the the best NBA prospect this team has. Do you you think that his minutes will start to rise a little bit? Well, I still think that that may well be true, but just
2: the fact that he missed those six weeks and want to have a slower integration, not ruin his confidence, and you're not going to take Cody Justice out of the starting lineup, and you're not going to take your other two guards out of the starting lineup. So if they did that, it would be with Kamai Lawrence as a four in a little bit of a smaller kind of a, a lineup. And and they've gone big, actually, at times. You look at Cal, they had Kamai Lawrence on the floor with two bigs in um, a lineup that, that I think matched well against... Cal size because right. Cal, Cal, you know, yeah. really gave it to ASU on the interior. With Coro and Lee, and that's and that's part of the challenge actually, is I see it with Lake and White because White is mm-hmm. is a better uh, uh, off the ball defender in the post,
1: whereas and
2: maybe gives up a little bit too many rebounds on, on the glass, whereas I think Lake is is probably mm-hmm. further along on the offensive end of the floor. Mm-hmm in terms of just as max said understanding space and how to finish and get put back to opportunities and and, and that kind of stuff he actually has the highest per of anyone on the team speaking of lake at 23.2 which is really high i think if he becomes a little bit more of a committed defender and rebounder then he becomes a really good big in this league Um, so I i would say to answer your question probably not rob but i do foresee games in which he's playing 20 something minutes uh, off the bench and, it, and again it's where Hurley can kind of ride his hot hands between Mitchell Scheibel Kamani Lawrence um, and then you know you, you also have had foul trouble they, this, we didn't talk about this yet but they had their three okay. bigs all had four, four fouls, fouls yeah. with ten minutes left in this game and they were able to sort of sustain through that remember how uh, they were like their bigs were just kind of putting their hands up in the air and getting scored over for like six eight minutes uh, down the stretch of that game, they foul. but they, yeah, but they were able to still get enough on the offensive end to be able to fight through and overcome that, coupled with what Shannon Evans gave them. So that was a that was a really even though Cal's not good, like they're definitely at the bottom of the league with maybe Washington State. They have some things that are challenging, uh, and playing on the road in the Pac-12 is is always tough. ASU really needed that win to be able to kind of give them a little bit of a a feel-good boost as they go into this homestand here this
0: week. In ASU, though, they did drop again in the the AP poll like we assumed they would after they lost to Stanford. Um, They've now uh, lost at least one game in each of the past four weeks, and they've dropped in the polls each of those past four weeks. Um, They've gone from number three to number four to number 11 to 16 to now number 21 in the country. Fobbing with this great stat here that uh, ASU hasn't swept a Pac-12 series since Bobby Hurley has been head coach. This is his third year. Um, they have Utah and Colorado at home this week on Thursday and Saturday. Could this be the weekend that uh, ASU finally
1: gets the Pac-12 series sweep? Uh, it would be tough to, but if they do, then that rating, rating is definitely going up. Like Colorado and Utah both gave ASU a lot of trouble. Colorado, of course, had that great... Great weekend in Boulder, where they, people with ASU and University of Arizona in Utah gave Arizona State some trouble, and ASU basically had to pull that game out by the skin of their teeth. But I think both these teams present matchup problems, especially with what they do with their zones, and they have different kinds of zones that force Arizona State to do different things offensively. Uh, There's obviously playing at home is much different than having to play on the road in Pac-12, but. It it would be tough to try to imagine or project a sweep, but if they do get one, obviously, it's a big step forward for this program, especially after the start of the Pac-12 season. Yeah, I don't think that this is the weekend that they get the sweep. Uh, You know, I think this
3: is one of the tougher home weekends, just with Utah, the way that they've played so well defensively second in the conference and scoring defensively and just uh, take above 70 points, uh, obviously gave ASU uh, some trouble. They should be able to alleviate some of the foul trouble that they had in Salt Lake City. But, you know, against Colorado, too, how talented they've been this season in terms of, like, George Wright and McKinley, or George King, excuse me, and McKinley Wright. Uh, George King has been an absolute tear the last few games. So I don't foresee this as an easy matchup for ASU. And, uh, you know, I think that their their goal is to avoid some of the, the struggles that they had in Utah, which should be doable. But, uh, I don't know, Utah is so good defensively that, that uh, ASU might struggle, especially from three. Yeah.
4: And again, just echoing what you guys are saying. like <laughs> uh, George King is definitely going to be a problem for ASU, what he was able to do against them in their first matchup. I think uh, he's going to replicate something similar to that this week, um, especially considering what Marcus Lee was just able to do to ASU's big men. You guys mentioned how the three of them were in foul trouble with 10 minutes left in the game. I, I think it's going to be a problem again for both matchups, regardless of how the referees call it. I just don't think ASU's big men have been adequate enough down low. Um, but I think it, it'll come down to whether or not, you know, again, the guard play. I, I don't know whether or not the three of them can ever play at a consistent level together in unison and really cohesively the way that they were at the beginning of the year. And obviously, as you guys have already mentioned, like teams are scheming against them differently, uh, both the 2 3 zone and 1 3 1 that, you know, both matchups are going to present this week. And I think it's going to pose again troubles for uh, the guard unit to really get going. And again, I think it comes down to whether or not Trey Holder can play a full 40 minutes at a high level.
2: I think the ASU is actually going to win both of the games this week. Uh, there's a big difference between home and away with most teams in the Pac-12. You look at Utah, lost pretty bad to UCLA and USC uh, just a week and a half or so ago. Both of those games lost by 17 or more points. Those were on the road, right? On the road, that's what I mean, yeah. And so, you know, they're two and four on the road for the season i actually think it's a pretty good matchup for asu even though utah has some size and length they're not really a great rebounding or tenacious physical team in the front court Um, how asu manages justin bivins is probably the most important thing in that game because their their uh... overall perimeter defense hasn't really been all that great asus against quicker guards will be able to really get to spots where they can do a lot of damage and set their teammates up. And Bivens is one of the best set of guys in the league probably. And then I also think that a lot of this game will come down to whether Cedric Barefield is on or off. He's a volume shooter. He'll go into these crazy streaks where he's just making everything. But then a lot of times, in fact, probably more often than not, he's not shooting the ball all that well. Um, and that presents as you know, the possibility where they could have some problems with, with scoring punch from their guards to be, to be able to, to hold up with a team like ASU. And I think even though their Utah's 131 was was uh, very successful overall against ASU. The fact that they've seen it once before on the road, it gives them more of a tangible ability to practice against that when you have them at the front end of uh, the week, and so I think that they're going to actually have one of their better performances in the Pac-12. Well,
1: you mentioned Bibbins also, and you mentioned also just being at home this time versus on the road. On the road last time, Arizona, ran it's foul trouble, Uh, obviously, pretty big foul disparity in that game, and Justin Bibbins seemed like he really excelled to try to draw fouls by sprinting quick stops, drawing fouls like that, also drawing, I think... Kwon Lake had a couple fouls to try to uh, hedge on ball screens. Uh, just those types of things that maybe get called differently when you're at Wells Fargo Arena versus when you're at the Huntsman Center. Uh, I think that might be a big impact in the game because I think that was also the game where Scheibel, Lake, and Romello White all fouled out in that game. Also, really quickly,
2: um, just because I don't know if we're going to talk about it or not, but Colorado is 1-5 in on the road. 8-2 and two at home, 1-5 on the road. And remember, these teams play at altitude, which is a, which is right. a big advantage because mm-hmm. opponents come in, they get winded. I felt like ASU really was gassed against Colorado really? in that Early. game. They got behind. It was a bad start. It, things
0: were kind of not going well. And ASU hasn't beaten Colorado at Colorado since Bobby Hurley's been here, right?
2: Correct. Okay. So uh, you look at what Colorado's done more recently. Uh, did have a, uh, a big win at Poly Pavilion against UCLA, where UCLA had just a atrocious performance, but that came on the heels of being blown out by USC. Um, And then Colorado lost actually at home to Washington. So I think ASU is better than these teams, Um, even though ASU hasn't obviously had the best start to the Pac-12 schedule. But when you get these teams at home and you're coming off of a win and and, and you've seen what they do defensively once before and you're probably a more talented team, I think, and with their their bench starting to emerge and more options, I just think they're they should win both games.
0: I agree that they will win both games. I think they can can sweep this series, especially. I think they they've still got that motivation after dropping four weeks in a row in the rankings. Um, the Pac twelve standings very quickly. Arizona at the top, six and one in conference. Uh, they just beat Stanford at Stanford on Saturday. USC USC is number two, six and two in conference. Stanford just below it, five and two. And then it is Washington four and three, followed by UCLA, Utah, and Colorado, all all deadlocked at four and four in in conference play. ASU three and four with Oregon and Oregon State, Washington State, and Cal um, both at one and six in conference. But let's get to ASU football just for a few minutes. ASU signed eleven players to binding national letters of intent during the first ever early signing period on December twentieth, but they haven't received a public commitment since then. A span of obviously a month. Uh, Hunter McGinnis dropped his commitment. Chris, can you tell us why that was? That
2: was ASU's decision. Um, Essentially what happened, Rob, is ASU got those binding NLIs from all of their commitments in that three-day period of December, starting on December 20th, and had tried to get Hunter McGinnis to also sign a National Letter of Intent, and he elected not to, and... um, reason that he gave at the time to us was that he wanted to see and the staff sort of finalize and then get a better relationship feel with those coaches maybe consider taking additional visits um, and then he actually went ahead and, and did take an official visit to UCLA um, and within a few days of that actually about f- on Friday so five days after getting back from that visit he had a phone conversation with Donnie Yannis. Uh, Hunter McGinnis told us that he was basically told by Yannis that he didn't have a scholarship anymore to ASU uh, because of his decision to uh, continue to look elsewhere and not sign with ASU but then also take additional visits. They just decided they wanted to go in a different direction. Of course, everybody knows that Billy Napier, the offensive coordinator, Rob Sale, the offensive line coach, moved on to Louisiana Lafayette, so now you have new coaches who are making some of these decisions. And um, McGinnis said that he was kind of surprised by what happened because he said he was told by ASU that they were going to continue to recruit other players, but not that they were going to drop him. Um, Now, other sources have told us that he was told that he may not have an opportunity if he decided not to sign in December. And so. The truth is in there somewhere, obviously, but the bottom line here is that the Sun Devils decided that even though they do want to to sign three offensive linemen, ideally, um, they are only uh, only have one committed or actually one signed, uh, and so they're trying to uh, add to that total at that offensive line position, which is really important. They really need tackles, and they've, they've offered a couple more, and they also hosted Casey Tucker, the former,
0: Ironically enough, Hamilton
2: High School uh, player who graduated from Stanford and has
0: one year of eligibility. And pardon me for not prefacing uh, the McGinnis conversation with saying that he is the three-star offensive tackle, six foot five, um, from Chandler, went to Hamilton High School. Uh, so signing signing day, Chris, now two weeks away on February seventh. What does ASU have to do to accomplish before that day?
2: Right. So they have uh, eleven guys who are signed. Ultimately, they're going to try to sign. 19 to 21 players, I think they have 21 calendar scholarships is what we call it, I think they'll probably only try to sign 19 or 20 by signing day so they can have an additional space where they can host recruits after uh, the signing period and then they'll be able to consider NCAA transfer candidates and all that. So they still have quite a bit of work, Rob, you look at just another two weeks to go, uh, I don't think they're going to get to that 19 or 20. It's going to be really hard. They need, uh, ideally, two linemen, a couple linebackers, a defensive back or two. They'll probably take at least one wide receiver. Uh, and then there's a an offensive skill player who just visited, who was the Under Armour All-American MVP right. that um, looks like it's trending toward ASU. What's his name? Uh, Washington. Washington, yeah. Um, so... There's a lot to accomplish, and um, we're going to really dive into that a little bit on the premium side here after, after we get done with this uh, podcast.
0: Yeah, so just like Chris mentioned, um, we're going to have a, a full breakdown of the state of ASU football, recruiting, uh, everything going on with the coaching staff. And uh, answering a lot of our... our and mailbag, yeah. mailbag uh, podcast episode. Um, so follow along with our complete discussion uh, with the premium podcast premium podcast. Um, but right now, uh, for reporters, Fabian Diet, Max Madden, Kaelin Jones, site publisher Chris Cartman, and myself, Rob Warner, thanks for tuning in.